today on Ag News Daily. Working to, to build an outgrower network of 100,000 smallholder farmers to be able to uh, receive uh, that credit access, input access, kind of the full package of inputs that are, have been uh, kind of variable in their delivery. Good afternoon, ladies. Ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday from the Egg News Daily Podcast. I'm Dawson Schmidt, joined by Ashton Carr today. Ashton, it's Friday. It's almost 4th of July. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling fantastic. I didn't have any 4th of July plans until yesterday. One of my friends invited me to go to Colorado with her. So after we head out here and I get everything uploaded, I'm going to head out to the Colorado Springs. So I'm pretty excited about that. Do you have any fun 4th of July plans, Dawson? Well, I was about in the same boat. I don't really have anything planned exactly on the 4th. However, I I will be attending a wedding tomorrow, so I'm kind of excited for that. I absolutely love weddings. I've had a few of them this summer, a few more to go. So it's definitely been a fun summer so far. I've done quite a bit of traveling, which I'm really happy about since I didn't do literally any traveling last year. So I guess I'm just playing a game of catch up this summer. No, I totally agree with that. There's definitely a lot on my list of things to do, but it just does not seem like I'll have all the time I want to do them. I definitely feel you there, Dawson, especially since I'm taking summer classes. I know that you're not, but I'm just trying to get through school as fast as possible because honestly, kind of over it right now. But Dawson, let's go ahead and just kick things off talking about some news. I understand you have a little bit of news to share with us today. I think you have three stories. So why don't you go ahead and kick things off for us? All righty. Well, kind of going overseas to start first. Brazil on the topic was Egg Rule, the agribusiness consultancy in the country, recently announced that they cut their forecasts for the country's second corn crop due to severe drought. And after that, we they also saw some below freezing temperatures that also pretty much put the crop at risk for some frost damage as well. And so the Brazilian firm came out and estimated that they are that Brazil is expected to produce only about 60 million tons of the second corn crop. And that is down from 5 million tons from their last estimate back in May. And it's also down 17 million tons from, from their estimate from last year's crop, or sorry, their initial projection for this year's second crop. And on top of that, Stonex's group chief economist Arlen Sunderman also came out with his own projection saying that they forecast Brazil's overall forecast to be at 89.68 million tons on Tuesday. And that is also down from their 100.25 million tons that they saw back in May. And I think with their second corn crop, they're still sitting about a little bit higher than Ag Rules estimate by just probably about, I would say, 0.5 million tons. So it seems like a lot of reductions are still being made to the Brazilian corn crop before, you know, it's really made. So it's interesting to see how much they're going to be left with by the time harvest comes around. Well, Dawson, I have some international news to talk about myself, but it is concerning Taiwan. The U.S. and Taiwan have restarted trade talks in a virtual meeting focused on enhancing the longstanding trade and investment relationship. 
Officials discussed the importance of secure and resilient supply chains and plans to convene meetings of several working groups on agriculture, technical barriers to trade, and more. U.S. officials also discussed opportunities for the two sides to explore trade tools to tackle the climate crisis. The meeting was led by Assistant United States Trade Representative Terry McCartan and Jen Ni Yang, Deputy Trade Representative from Taiwan's Office of Trade Negotiations. And just to kind of refresh on what Taiwan and that relationship really means for the U.S., Taiwan is the United States' ninth largest goods and trading partner with the two-way trade totaling $90.9 billion in 2020 alone. I can't quite remember why we stopped trade negotiations originally, but we're back on the right path, it sounds like. I don't exactly know if the conversation was a super positive one. I do know about those talking points. Points, but hopefully we can get some more information here in the future. I think the U.S. has been talking about trade more and more as time goes on, which I am kind of, of course, in favor of. Hopefully we get some better markets, better relationships, and we can get right back on the right path with Taiwan especially. Yeah, Ashton, I think we've had that discussion more or kind of a while back on thinking that was the Biden administration going to be focusing more on trade? And it seems like that may start to be happening now. So that's, I'm really excited about that. I definitely agree. I think it's taking form now, which I think it took a, a little while for you know the pedal to actually get to the metal and things get going. But now that they've been moving, I feel like we haven't really taken a stop. So I guess that's a, a positive. And I know that you like to stay on the positive side, Dawson. So today's your day. I sure do. And some more kind of positive news is that Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilsack announced that USDA will do a review of the product of the USDA label for meat managed by the Food Safety and Inspection Service after the Federal Trade Trade Commission voted to strengthen and enforce the product's label made in the USDA. So for some more background on this, we did have food labels that were coming from or that were labeled products of the USA, but really they came from meat, meat that was shipped from overseas. And then that meat was was processed in the USA. And that came under a lot of backlash from especially US producers saying that this is not actual product of the US, of the USA. And so a lot of people were trying to push on that. And now the US secretary has actually come out and is under is, is saying that that will now be under review. And so that's kind of hopeful news that, you know, we're going to be seeing a lot more products where consumers are going to be knowing exactly where their food is coming from. And both the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the U.S. Cattlemen's Association did come out who did have opposing viewpoints on the labeling process. They did actually come out and praise the decision to review the, to at least have a review of the labeling. Yeah, Dawson, we've discussed this a little bit on the podcast before. Um, I guess it's been a couple of weeks now, but I'm glad that we've actually been seeing some movement on this. And I understand where producers in particular are upset about this labeling rule because honestly if I was a beef or you know pork producer in the US and you know my competition you know kind of quote unquote was being labeled as a product of the US I probably would be a little bit upset too but I just have one other story to talk about today, and it's concerning some legislation concerning veterinarians. I've been seeing on social media some, I can't remember what, what the hashtag is, 
uh, in, in particular, but there was some hashtag going on kind of in support for vets. And it looks like that support is being taken into legislation as Senator Debbie Stabnow and Senator Mike Crapo introduced bipartisan legislation on June 24th to address the shortfall of vets in rural areas in particular. The Veterinarian Medicine Loan Repayment Program Enhancement Act is designed to meet the growing demand for vets nationwide by eliminating taxes on programs that encourage vets to practice in underserved areas. And honestly, I have personally seen the lack of vets in rural areas. Earlier this summer, we had a calf die at my parents' house. We called three vets to come and um, kind of get the body and, you know, see what caused death. But we couldn't get anybody out there because they were so stacked up. And so we had to kind of load load the body up ourselves and take it through town, which honestly isn't the uh, best way, I think, to kind of uh, dispose or see what happened. But finding qualified vets in ag communities is key to maintain animal health and welfare, according to one of those senators in a release. In 2003, Congress established the VMLRP to help address the shortage in essential vet services in rural areas across the country. This program assists selected food, animal, and public health vets with student loan repayment for a three-year commitment to practice in areas of the country facing a vet shortage. This program helps vets pay down their student loan debt so that they can afford to start a practice in locations where it's most needed. The program is currently subject to a significant federal withholding tax on the assistance provided to qualifying vets. Because of this, resources available for the program are limited, as well as the research of its benefits. But like I said, I've seen firsthand the shortage of qualified vets in rural areas in particular, and hopefully this new legislation and this program really helps people to get that education and that qualification that they need and those areas that are underserved get the the vets that it needs. I completely agree, Ash. And I don't remember how long ago how long ago it was, but I did read a magazine story from Successful Farming magazine. They did come out with a college edition uh, version of their magazine for college students and they're trialing it out for or at Iowa State. And so I was lucky enough to get my hands on that. But they did have a cover story in there about that same issue. And it seems like there is that the that, that jobs for vets are very much in demand and it's hard to get them right now. Yeah, and it's even harder, I feel like, to even get into vet school. Here in Texas, we used to only have one vet school. I was at Texas A&M. Texas Tech is opening theirs. Um, I think the inaugural class goes in this fall, and it's in Amarillo. But before that, at least I think in the Dallas area, if you wanted to go to a vet school, there was only two within like a 500-mile radius. Um, so, I mean, I think that this is a great program. Hopefully it gets more people into schools and get the education that they need. But Dawson, I'm all out of stories for the day. Do you have anything else to catch us up on before we get into markets? Yeah, I have one more thing. So today, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a 2019 rule by the Environmental Protection Agency that lifted that lifted outdated restrictions on the sale of 15% ethanol fuel blend or the E15. So for some background on this, in June 2019, the EPA issued a final rule extending the reed vapor pressure volatility waiver for the E15 and found that it was pretty much similar to E10. And that was under the Trump administration. And they kind of ruled that to be, be included together and that 
E15 sales can be sold all year round. However, after the recent ruling, E15 sales will not be included in that rule. And so for the rest of 2021, E15 sales will be allowed year round for the rest of the driving season, along with the blends for nine, nine to 10% ethanol. However, next year that the However, next year, if E15 sales will not be included under that waiver, the RFA came out with a statement today that said they disagree with the court's decision to reject EPA's move to expand the RVP waiver to include E15, saying that it could deprive American drivers from low carbon options at the pump and would also result in a car in more carbon in the atmosphere. They said they're also pursuing different options and will work with the administration and their congressional champions to ensure that they have a solution in place before the 22 or 2022 driving season. Now, I'm kind of speculating on this and other analysts might agree as well is that corn did not like that today and that corn actually closed about 30 cents lower today for the front contract. And so I'm kind of assuming that this decision might have had something to do with that. You're right, Dawson. I have the markets pulled up here and it looks like corn did not have a fantastic day. So what do you say we go ahead and chat numbers here? I say we get right into it. All righty, folks. Well, starting out in the corn contract, the July down 22 and a half cents to close at 697 and three quarters. The December down nine and a quarter cent to close at 579 and three quarters. The soybeans, green across the screen here in soybeans, the July contract up five cents to close at 14.55. 1451 and three quarters. The November up three and a half cents to close at 1399. Wheat red again here as we look into the July contract down at 12 and three quarter cents to close at 645 and three quarters. The December down at 12 and a quarter cent to close at 661 and a half. In livestock, Starting out in live cattle, the August contract down a dollar fifty-seven and a half to close at one twenty-two. The October down a dollar seventeen and a half to close at one twenty-eight seven and a half. The December down forty-two and a half cents to close at one thirty-two seventy-seven and a half. Feeder cattle green across the screen as we look here into the August contract up seventy-two and a half cents to close at one fifty-seven five. The September up thirty-five cents to close at one fifty-nine forty-two and a half. The October up forty cents to close at one sixty-one forty-seven and a half. And then lean hogs mixed trade across the screen. The July contract up a dollar thirty-five to close at one hundred eight sixty-five. The August down seven and a half cents to close at one hundred twenty-two and a half. The October down 17 and a half cents to close at 84.70. Rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, the July up three cents to close at 16.80. August down 12 cents to close at 16.72. And September up two cents to close at 17.30. With that, Dawson, I'm going to kick it over to our conversation with Tristan Hudak to talk about our 30 under 30 feature for this week. Well, for this week's 30 Under 30 conversation, we are talking to Tristan Hudak, who is the Vice President at Ag Biotech. Tristan, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Uh, Ashton, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. So Tristan, you're a very busy guy. You just wrapped up your master's. Congratulations, by the way. So let's dive into a little bit more about you and what you've been so busy with here lately. Well, thank you for that. First of all, uh, yeah, it's a, a good to have that uh, that off my plate. Um, 
but yeah, I, I got started an agribusiness about seven years ago uh, with my family business, as many uh, people in agribusiness do. Um, but we're working mostly on the input supply side of things. So this year, especially, we've been uh, we've released two new products that uh, we've been building up our di distribution network in the United States and globally with. Uh, so we've been very busy with that on that front. Um, but our, our kind of flagship or our hallmark uh, trait of our products is they're highly uh, concentrated products. And so as such, they're very easy to export and to get around globally. So we're building up our global network as well as our domestic uh, United States network uh, with these products and with that biotech. Uh, so with that, we've uh, we've actually launched a new company in East Africa as well, uh, a sister company to Ag Biotech called Ag Plutus Company Limited for input supply, access to finance, access to insurance programs, and all sorts of things. So we've had a lot, lot going on on our end here. So we've been uh, keeping very busy with the building of the network and the uh, you know, bringing on new partners and such. So. Interesting. This isn't so much recent as it was in 2016, but you were awarded the Telly Award. Tell us a little bit more about that and what that experience was like for you. What did it really entail? Uh, yeah, that was a, the Telly Award was a great experience with the American Farm Journal. Uh, we uh, were able to film an episode right in our backyard in upstate New York with some of our uh, our oldest customers and uh, the, the customers that have been utilizing our products year after year year and that uh, we have a really good relationship with. And that's kind of one of the keys of the ag biotech business model. We were founded in upstate New York and uh, right in our backyard is our best market. We, we've got a great relationship, a longstanding relationship over the past 25 years with many growers on a retail basis there. Uh, so we're, we're really excited to be able to share that um, uh, with the American Farm Network and to be able to, uh, to get that captured on film. So Tristan, I want to bring things back to present day. I mean, your master's uh, was just dealing with international agriculture. Of course, this sister company from Ag Biotech is international as well. Where did you kind of get that inspiration or that passion to do international agriculture rather than just helping people in your own backyard? Well, uh, my first trip overseas uh, was back in, I believe, 2005. My dad took me on a work trip back when I was just a kid just to get out and see the world a little bit more. Um, but I kind of got a, a, the travel bug, so to speak, and uh, went with him on a few more trips as I became full-time with the company at Biotech. Uh, my first trip to East Africa was in 2012, and uh, that was kind of my, my official start to working at least part-time uh, with Ag Biotech as I was finishing up my undergrad program uh, at the time. Um, but uh, my first trip to Kenya, I really fell in love with the landscape and with the agricultural systems that I saw there. Uh, smallholder farmers are, are, I think, some of the hardest working people in the world. And it's really amazing to see how these production systems are so resilient and how, they're, uh, how they adapt to local conditions uh, and how they plug into the global market as well. Uh, so that kind of kept drawing me back to the East African market. Um, so we decided to take a look at the Ugandan uh, market for distribution in 2017. We began uh, building up our relationships there with the American Chamber of Commerce and organized an official visit to meet some distributors and some uh, some partners that have been working with USAID for a long time. And uh, in 2019, one of those partners uh, named Robert Anyang reached out to me and uh, was very interested in our products and wanted to bring on even more and make it more official and uh, and start an input, a full input supply company right in Uganda called Ag Plutus Company. Uh, so we're not only distributing 
<clears throat> our biostimulants and biologicals that Ag Biotech formulates and has patented, but uh, we're also, you know, helping with uh, access to finance, access to insurance, access to high quality improved seed varieties, specifically with uh, with sesame. And uh, and we're working to to build an outgrower network of 100,000 smallholder farmers to be able to uh, receive uh, that credit access, input access, kind of the full package of inputs that are have been uh, kind of variable in their delivery and their availability in that market. Tristan, I think it's really interesting that you guys are working with Sesame because it's not something that I'm really familiar with. <laughs> I suspect it's not something that you were familiar with. So was there any kind of a learning curve there working with these farmers? Uh, there was a huge learning curve. Yeah, the first year that we brought it in, <clears throat> it's certainly considered a specialty, but uh, there's a few interesting traits with this particular variety that we're sourcing from Equinom Company out of Israel. Uh, it's it's a non-shattering sesame, which means that it can dry down in the field. Traditionally, sesame has to be hand cut and hung up uh, in order to reach an adequate moisture level to be able to uh, process or sell in a fresh market. Uh, this sesame is able to dry down in the field. It saves a ton of labor for smallholder farmers, which uh, it's a traditional crop of Uganda. There's about of 140,000 uh, acres planted per year in Uganda. So it's it's very, it's unfamiliar to us, but very familiar over there. Um, and so being able to introduce this improved variety, we had a ton of learning to do with it. Um, we've played with row spacing, plant population density, uh, timing with rainfall patterns, uh, because Uganda gets two full seasons per year. So we had to sort out <clears throat> what season we could plant and at what time in the season. Uh, we'd be able to harvest our crop adequately. So we had a few few incidences of getting rained out, uh, getting washed out completely. We had uh, you know new insect pressures that were unforeseen. We had a lot of a lot of unforeseen circumstances that went into the development of this variety, which has been a uh, an ongoing process for about a year and a half now, between uh, the first introduction of the seed to Uganda, to the full rollout that we're uh, doing right now in July. Well, if you're doing this rollout so soon, you know, what are some things that we might expect from, can you pronounce the name for me one more time? Ag Plutus? Ag, Ag Plutus. Yep. Oh, that's okay. that's the uh, the Greek god of wealth and agriculture. And so uh, our, our partner was, was very excited about that name. Uh, but yeah, well, what we're expecting now is to build up our smallholder farmer network to uh, 30,000 growers um, in Uganda right now that are going to be receiving access to this high quality seed to our microbial biostimulant uh, bio product, uh, BioSeed, to our foliar biostimulant, BioShot, uh, access to fertilizers are included in this package, access to insecticide. Um, farmers can put down 20% of the payment for this uh, particular seed variety up front, and we have access to a microfinance loan uh, that is included in the package, as well as crop insurance. And these are all new things to this market. Um, Every single one of them is, is kind of cutting edge and uh, and available to growers for the first time in this area. So right now, we're, our access is to about 30,000 uh, growers, hoping to expand that even further as July rolls out and to get uh, you know roughly 50,000 acres of sesame planted. So what we're, uh, what we're doing now is arranging off-taker agreements. We make sure that as our growers are planting, that they have a market at the end of the season. And so we're, uh, we're facilitating that market linkage as well. So hopefully by the uh, by the harvest, you know, around uh, November ish, we'll be uh, we'll have you know fifty thousand metric tons uh, or, uh, of sesame available, 
uh, into the global market. And you're going to see Uganda start to uh, work its way up in the, as a global market leader, not just for sesame, but for other crops that we're starting to uh, to imp- adapt these solutions to as well. Tristan, I think it's you know pretty obvious that you have this passion for agriculture in East Africa. But do you see yourself working anywhere else in the future internationally? Absolutely, yeah. Right now we have uh, we have distribution uh, with Ag Biotech through Chemical uh, Lucava in Mexico, and uh, we're expanding with other local partners throughout Central America into South America as well. And uh, we're just beginning uh, our reach into Southeast Asia with our uh, with our products as well. So we're we're certainly expanding into other uh, other regions, but we're uh, going in the areas where we've had a lot of interest, which is, uh, includes East Africa, but is also you know including the domestic market in the United States. Uh, these products, biostimulants and biologicals, are typically seen as as a specialty in our particular regions, but they they've been working uh, extremely well under uh, you know, crops that are under stressed circumstances. Maybe they don't have access to fertilizers or they've been overused or improperly used throughout the years. So we're able to overcome a lot of these stress factors that we see uh, in multiple farming systems internationally. So we're, we're going where we'll have the, the biggest and quickest impact and where we have good distribution agreements, uh, which currently is, East, is in East Africa, but it can be uh, throughout other parts of the world as well. Awesome. Well, Tristan, thank you again once more for coming on and joining us today. Congratulations for everything that's kind of going on in your world right now and uh, best wishes to you in the future. Well, thank you so much for, for your well wishes and for having me on, Ash. And I really have uh, I've had a good time talking to you here and I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. Again, folks, that was Tristan Hudak. I had a fantastic conversation with him just talking about international agriculture. I thought it was really interesting that they've been working with those Ugandan farmers with sesame seeds of all things. Like Tristan said, it's kind of a specialty crop for us here in the U.S., but pretty normal over there in Uganda. I think it's awesome, the vast amount of agriculture and the knowledge that Tristan has. So thanks again to him and all of our previous 30 under 30s that we've had the chance to talk to folks. If you want to catch up on any of those episodes, we do do them every Friday. We've been doing them for the past um, two and a half months, probably a little bit longer. I can't calculate that quick in my head, but if you do want to go and look at those episodes, you can do that on the Ag News Daily website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Dawson, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.